0: It's May the 12th, 2001 and at the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff, South Wales, a huge event is taking place. It's the FA Cup Final, the oldest, most historic cup competition in world football. It's watched by hundreds of millions of people and it's a game that I'd never missed. From a young age I'd get up early on a Saturday and watch all of the build up with Lynam all the way through till 3 p.m., when the game would start. It was as if the whole country would come to a standstill. But on that day in 2001, nothing could be further from my mind. In a small, rented, end-of-terrace house in a downtrodden part of Manchester, I sat upstairs alone in the bathroom with my thoughts. I could hear muffled screams and shouting, coming from my friends and family who were downstairs watching the game and waiting for me. I really couldn't care less about the game. I was there to get ready. So I donned my suit, black, three-button, single-breasted. A black shirt and a white satin tie with gold embroidery. I trimmed my mustache and I groomed my beard and I raised my trousers just above my ankles as was required and I raised my head and I looked in the mirror and I saw an unemployed 24 year old who had little money who had never had a girlfriend there was a knock at the door it was time to go it was time to get married Episode 2, Dating Games Kiss Chase Now I know some of you know what Kiss Chase is, but uh, let's just assume you don't. It's the 101 of flirting for primary school kids. It's an introduction to the opposite sex. I say the opposite sex because at the time I was growing up, this was a heterosexual activity. And it went something like this. The girls were the prey and they would have to run around the playground. And uh, the boys would have to chase them. And the deal was that if you managed to catch one of the girls, you were allowed to kiss them. Uh, yeah, nothing, Nothing too saucy. You were just allowed to kiss them, probably a quick peck on the lips, max, maybe one on the cheek. And I remember playing this game for the first time and the only time. And the reason it was the only time is because of the way it made me feel. I was in a predominantly white school, like many kids of my uh, Indian background Uh, living in in London at the time. And so I was thrust into this environment where everybody looked different to me. Uh, Although I was born in in the UK, uh, uh, clearly I was different. And this game ensued, and I was just in a mild panic about it because I didn't really know what I was meant to be doing. Clearly I'm seven or eight years old, and I'm sure all the other kids didn't really know what they were doing, but they looked like they were having fun. And so... I started madly chasing these girls around. And there was one particular girl who I really liked. I mean, from the moment that I saw her, I just thought, wow. The only problem was is that she was the most popular girl in the school. But that aside, it didn't deter me. And so I made a beeline for this girl. And the way it works is that if the girl likes you then she probably slows down a bit and allows herself to be caught right and so you kind of reach the first base um problem for me was that i kept chasing and these girls were just running as hard as they could and i couldn't understand why other kids were getting in some action and i wasn't and then finally um i managed to catch this girl i managed to do it and I was elated and I didn't really pick up on the fact that she didn't want to be caught I just thought well this is the game this is what happens and so I grabbed her and she's struggling to get away and I'm struggling to get a kiss and I'm just basically mouthing now at her jacket arm right and I remember that the, the material of the jacket was made of this polyester wool, right? And I was just mouthing this, this polyester wool um, until she managed to break the hold and just run as fast as she could. And I watched her run away and I was quite disheartened by all of this. And the bell went, and they used to ring a bell in those days for the end of break time, and everybody went inside and nobody said another word about it and... I was never invited to another game of Kiss Chase. And I remember how it made me feel. I felt rejected. I felt unattractive. I felt like this wasn't for me. This game wasn't meant for me. And so I just carried that with me. It was my first introduction to kind of the world of Dating, if you like, the world of women and girls at the time. I do remind you I was seven or eight years old at the time. And um, the next opportunity I had was, and I'm sure many of you can relate to this, was at a party. So primary school kids have parties and you get invited to parties. And we're a bit older at this time, probably 11, 12 yeah, around that. And we played spin the bottle. Yeah, I know. And again, for those of you who don't know, spin the bottle is where everybody sits in a circle. Boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl, all the way around. And you get a bottle and you spin it. And it'll land on a girl and you spin it again. And if it lands on a boy the two of them have to go behind the sofa and make out. That's what you're meant to do. Now, again, don't know where you're listening to this and whether or not you relate to this. And I'm not even sure whether this still takes place. And it even shocks me now as a parent to think that this was allowed to take place in somebody's home and it was approved of by by the parents of the house. So I... I was dreading this. I was absolutely dreading this experience because I sat there and I thought, I know none of these girls want to be with me. I know that. And I felt exposed. And I was praying. I was praying, please, do not allow the bottle to land on me. Because I don't want to see the look on the girl's face when they realise it's me they have to make out with. And... It was spun a few times and a few people went behind, and it was the usual kind of noises that you'd hear. And you know, everyone was having a great laugh about it. And it, they just continued spinning that damn bottle, and then it eventually landed on me. And I don't know, maybe I was reading too much into it, but nobody was making eye contact with me. Nobody. None of the girls. I mean the lads were just like made up for me um but yeah I wasn't getting a I wasn't getting those positive vibes of uh you know somebody wanting to be with myself and the hand went down and the bottle was spun and it was almost like slow motion it was just kept going round and round and round and round and eventually it stopped and The girl who was chosen, she refused. She refused to go behind the sofa. But then all the other girls said, you have to because it's the rules, right? If you're playing the game, it's the rules. And so the peer pressure, I mean, how bad is this? The peer pressure forced her behind the sofa with me. And I was so self-conscious about this whole thing that I said to her behind the sofa, I said... I said, listen, let's just pretend. Yeah, let's just pretend. And she was just completely relieved. And so we pretended to make out. And it was quite obvious, you know, we were making the whole kissing noises and whatever else. Um, And then we emerged and it was all a bit lame. But it just completely hammered my confidence once more. Um, And it just left me with that feeling of, look, you know, some people are meant to be dating girls and you're not one of those guys okay so why didn't you give up? So that's what I decided to do I mean it was subconscious you know um, so I just carried on doing what any kid does at that, that age and I just hanged you know I had a little crew we used to skateboard around a lot um, we used to play football a lot and then out of the blue I was in the playground, and a girl came up to me, and she said, "Will you go out with Stacy? That's not a real name by the way. Will you go out with Stacy?" and I'm like, Sorry I literally i I didn't know what what they were talking about, what she was talking about, and she goes, "'Will you go out with Stacy? She wants to go out with you and then it it hit me like this is the girl that I'd ended up behind the sofa with. And I'm like, um Yeah. I'm like, yeah, let's that th- let's do it. she goes, Okay. When? I'm like, um Saturday? What time? Uh twelve thirty? Where? Uh meet me on tell her to meet me on South Ealing Road at uh, Cherry Top Close. Uh, And she was like, okay, I'll tell her. And that's it, off she went. Now, think about that. That's a really simple way to set up a date. I mean, no need for texting, no need for any direct messaging, no need to share a Google map. That is how you set up a date. And I didn't know what had happened. But I thought, I've got to do this. But there was one problem. There was one quite significant problem. Being of a Muslim immigrant background doesn't make dating culturally or religiously an acceptable thing to do. Culturally or religiously. And that the, the, the additional problem was that I helped my father in his grocery and halal meat shop on South Ealing Road um, every Saturday. It was I was on the tills. I was there to deal with the customers, and Saturday was our busiest day. Um, but what was I going to do? How was I supposed to clear it with my dad? Hey, Dad, I know this is the most important day of the week, and I'm part of the family business, but do you mind if I go on a date with this white girl? I mean, I'm not sure whether or not the white thing would have been significant, but the fact that it was a girl, and I was 13, maybe, um, it would have been it would have been a no, and um, possibly a, a clip around the ear, possibly more. But um, I allowed time to pass, and Saturday came about, and it's midday, and I've got half an hour to get to where I need to go and I decide I'm gonna get ready okay so I get ready I distinctly remember wearing white pumps um, with horrible baggy blue jeans with huge turn-ups coin catchers I call them and this absolutely horrific t-shirt which kind of was if any of you guys remember the hair gel studio line right again google it if you've never heard of it but it's got this kind of pattern on it of red and blue and yellow and green squares uh, kind of asymmetric i had a top like that on and then combine that with black spiky hair and being chubby not my greatest look but anyway it's the best i could do at the time so i came down and my dad took look took one look at me and said, "Where are you going?" And uh, I said, "Um, uh, I need to go out." He goes, "Why?" "Uh, I want to go and see a friend." And for some reason, he said, "Fine." I didn't need a second chance to leave. I just. I was out of there. And I had the foresight to take some money with me, which was great. I'm not sure where I got that money. I did have a habit of dipping my hand into my dad's till um, to get money when I needed it. That's probably where it came from. Or maybe it was some pocket money. To be fair, immigrant parents don't really do pocket money. So it probably wasn't that. Anyway, so I was out of there. And I made my way to Cherry Top Close on South Ealing Road. And it was... Again it was a beautiful day I remember it was a beautiful day and the high street where my dad's shop was 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 buzzing you know it was kind of the mid 80s and uh, I remember there was the grocery store and there was the flower shop and there was the motorcycle the independent motorcycle store and there was the trophy shop and then the local takeaway and then the chippy and the whole place was kind of buzzing. And I was walking through it, feeling on top of the world. And as I approached Cherry Top close, um, I started to feel these, these butterflies in my stomach. And it started to get really quite you know serious and I started feeling anxious. Anxious that perhaps that this was just a joke. That this wasn't going to happen. That the date was... Um, it had been cancelled or basically I was going to be stood up and then there she was waiting for me and I didn't know what to do I just carried on walking and then I got to her and it was like hi hi and then I realised that I had no plan For this date whatsoever. That just meeting at that point is all I had thought about. What we were going to do, where we were going to go, how we were going to spend that None of that was planned. And so I looked at her and said, um, should we go? She goes, where are we going? I said, um, let's go to the cinema. And she's like, okay and we just started walking. Now cinema is not a bad idea is it? Problem is that the cinema was two miles away and I wasn't taking the bus because Mm -hmm. that costs money. So we walked for two miles. Now it was a beautiful day so you could you could think that this was probably a good idea too because you could probably talk and get to know one another. How about walking for two miles and not saying a word to each other because you have no idea how to interact with the opposite sex? Yeah, that's that. That's what we're talking about here. And so we walked. And we walked from South Ealing to Ealing Broadway. And then from Ealing Broadway to West Ealing. Now, in West Dealing, there was the Mm. cinema that I was thinking of. Had I checked the times for the movies? No. Remember, we're not talking about digital times here, so I hadn't checked anything, hadn't called through. I just assumed there'd be something on and that we would go and watch it. Um, So about... How long would two miles have taken to 13 13-year-olds? I don't know. But by the time we got there... um, at least an an hour had passed. And we got to the cinema. And there was only one showing of a movie. And it was... <laughs> I can't believe I'm mentioning this. It's called Howard the Duck. Now again, probably, if you're of a certain age, you will remember Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck was one of those first movies where you have a combination of kind of a regular film with an animated character in it. A bit like uh, Roger Rabbit. Again, if you remember that. Yeah, but that's what Howard the Duck was. Um It was just a horrific movie. I mean, it's like, why would you go on a date to watch Howard the Duck? Please do Google it um and watch the trailer. Uh, thankfully, she decided that she wasn't interested in seeing Howard the Duck. And so my next suggestion was actually genius. I I said that we should go to McDonald's. That's, that's where we should go. And so we walked more, probably another mile. Yeah, that's right. Okay, actually, let's go back slightly. The cinema was in Ealing Broadway. And then after cinema, we walked to West Ealing, which was a mile away. We went to McDonald's, I ordered a filet of fish because obviously that's the only halal thing on the menu um, with chips and a drink and I can't remember what she ordered but I do remember telling her that she needed to pay for her own meal (laughs) I know, I know So we ordered, we sat in silence and that was pretty much my first experience of dating a girl. Um, I think suffice it to say we didn't have a, a second date. It wasn't wasn't particularly successful. And after that I just realised that, listen, this isn't for you. The world of girls is not for you. Find something else. And so I searched. Now, whereas my primary school was predominantly white, my secondary school was more mixed. It was in a city, Acton, and it was the first time I had encountered a pretty even split between white kids, Asian kids and black kids. And it changed the dynamics of, of my social life, I suppose, it's kind of the first time where I kind of had to pick who I am and I had a choice as well and I'd say the kind of the dominant crew in the school were the black kids predominantly from a Jamaican background and so it was being exposed to a lot of um, kind of black music um, black culture and it was cool the only problem was Asian kids weren't cool. So you either had to start acting black uh, or you had to just be the regular stereotypical geeky Asian kid. And I was one of those I was one of those kids who, who wanted to be part of the in-crowd. And so so that's what I tried to do. But as opposed to the white world that I'd come from, which I felt largely rejected by, the same thing was happening at high school. In that, the black kids I wanted to hang around with, it wasn't—I didn't feel fully accepted. I wasn't invited to kind of the same parties or the same um, stuff that was going on outside of school. Um, I wasn't part of the in-crew at school. Either, and actually, it ended up um, where I was at some points being bullied. So this you know, secondary school experience wasn't massively positive, either. And so I'm still searching here. I'm still searching for for my people, for my for a sense of purpose and belonging, much like any young person. And so we transitioned through high school onto college, and now I've switched from inner city Acton to the leafy suburbs of Richmond, which is probably the most quintessentially English place that you could imagine. I mean, it has a a huge park where they have deer. Um, it ha- Richmond itself has the Thames running through it, and some beautiful architecture. Um, yeah. Yeah, if you've been to Richmond you know what I'm talking about. And in Richmond you had the aspirational Asian which basically is a group of Asians who want to do well. Um that they come from families where they are they are taught to be doctors. And engineers and accountants and solicitors, basically the professions. So, you know, not a bad place to be for your education. And for the first time, I felt comfortable. I felt comfortable amongst this group of Asians, people who have a Sikh background, Hindu background, Muslim background, didn't really matter. We all had a very similar life experience as second generation immigrant kids but something changed at college something quite significant i remember sitting in the library we used to talk to the librarians there we used to sit in this enclosed area of the library where you were allowed to speak but we used to sit in there and just absolutely take the mic. and the librarian would walk in i still remember her now and she would tell us off and then we would quieten down and then then we would just let rip and it was just this constant battle between us and the librarians but anyway, sitting in there one day, um, quite disillusioned with my A-levels because I have no idea why I'm studying maths, physics and chemistry I think it's some immigrant parent delusion about me doing medicine which is never going to happen but I was there and this friend of mine walks in He's another Muslim kid and he says, why didn't you come to pray? And I'm like, excuse me, pray? Is it Eid? Now let me point out at this stage that I didn't come from a religious household. We were culturally Muslim. But aside from that, I really didn't know much about my faith whatsoever. It was a case of not eating pork, not drinking, not dating girls, and going to the mosque on Eid twice a year. That was it. That is what I understood. But I was conscious of the fact that I was Muslim. I just didn't know what that meant. It was an identity. And he said to me, let's go and pray. And I'm like, dude, What do you mean? He goes, well, we've got a prayer room. So the prayer room? What do you need one of those for? Well, it's where we pray Dhuhr. Now, Dhuhr is the afternoon prayer. One of the afternoon prayers. It's the early afternoon prayer. I didn't know what it was called. But anyway, we eventually got to the point where, you know, just to get him off my back. I said, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll come. And he told me where it was, what room it was, and just left it. I didn't go. I just I just wanted to hang around with, with my crew. A week later, the same thing happened. He said, why don't you come and pray? And I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 where is it again? And he goes, look, why don't you come with me? I'll take you. So I'm like, okay. I mean, you yeah, know, the dude was cool, so that's what we did. And we walked along the corridors, up a few stairs, into one of the regular classes, which overlooked the car park at the front of the building. And on the floor, there were a series of mats pointing towards the corner, and there was a sink in one of the corners. Obviously the room must have been used for some kind of home economics or something. And there was somebody with their foot in the sink. And I'm like, I was thinking, why have you got your foot in the sink? And while I was thinking that, I was told, look, you need to wash up for prayer. Now I'm getting worried. I'm getting worried because I'm about to be exposed as a totally ignorant Muslim. like. I have no idea about this world at all. I mean, when I used to pray for for my Eid prayer, I used to have a bath. That was the requirement. Get up in the morning, have a bath, get ready, the house is completely stressed, jump in the car and then drive in a panic to Regent's Park Mosque in central London where thousands of people are going to be praying with you and then jump in the car, get stuck in three hours traffic on the way back. That's my memory of... Eid, that's my memory of praying, but actually knowing how to wash up for prayer, the need to wash up for prayer. So I kind of, I confessed, I confessed to this friend, I said, look, I really don't know how to do this. He goes, look, don't worry, I'll show you. I said, so that's what he did. He turned on the tap and he said, look, the first thing you do is you say, Bismillah, in the name of God. And then you wash your hands. then you wash your face three times and then you take a a handful of water in your right hand put it to your mouth and your nose and take it in and expel it with your left and do that three times. Then you need to wash your right arm up to and including the elbow three times and then your left arm three times. Then you need to wet your hands and wipe your head and use your index fingers to clean the insides of your ears and the thumbs the outside of your ears all in one one motion. Then you need to wash your feet. So take off your socks and with your pinky finger on your left hand run the water over your foot and push your pinky between your toes in order to clean your feet and do that three times all the way up to the ankle and then do it on your left and that's it you now are in a state of wudu. you have made ablution you are in a state of purity you are ready to pray so that's what I did it was a lot to take in at the time but I did it Struggled to get my foot in that sink. Um, It's quite high up. But I managed it. Then the next part of the challenge came, which was actually to pray. But again, I was taken through it. I was told not to worry. And slowly but surely, I became aware of becoming part of something bigger than myself. I felt the love, the security the trust, the respect of the people around me. And we used to use very affectionate terms for each other. We were brothers, brothers of the faith. And then we used to encourage each other towards godliness, towards goodness. We used to stand up against injustice. We used to speak against injustice. We used to think of ourselves as divinely inspired people, divinely guided people. And it was the first time in my life that I had felt so loved and so secure. And so it was the beginning of my journey as a conscientious, practicing Muslim man. I now had purpose, I had direction I felt empowered and so we'd spend more and more time together. I would reject my Asian crew that I had built up. I would reject their ways, the fact that they wanted to go clubbing or they wanted to go drinking. They wanted to date amongst themselves. I, I didn't want any of that. I just wanted to be amongst my Muslim brethren. And so that is what we did. We used to share cassettes with each other in order to inspire each other, you know, to help each other, to teach each other. We used to go to Islamic conferences together. I remember one in in, in Worcester, and another which was staged in in De Montford in, in Leicester. And each time, I felt more and more confident in who I was. At last, here was a group of people that accepted me for who I am and who were investing me and taking notice of me and it also helped me to answer the woman question because clearly, clearly there's a defined way that I was told that a man should be with a woman and that is through marriage and I was told this very early on that to stay away from dating That it was haram, sinful, to touch a woman, to kiss a woman, to be with a woman, to be alone with a woman that would lead to temptation. So to avoid it, don't do it, don't go close to it. And so that is how I lived. It gave me a clear excuse to stay away from the opposite sex. But at the same time... Paradoxically you are encouraged to desire marriage Because it is only through marriage that you could satisfy yourself That it is only through the institution of marriage that you could do this That there are many quotes from the Prophet Muhammad wasallam, Which means peace be upon him There are many quotes from him encouraging people to marry And I was told these quotes over and over again. And so the conversations that would take place amongst us young male Muslims when it came to women was always couched within the terms of marriage. When are you going to get married? It needs to happen soon, brother. Summer's coming. Summer's a difficult time. Everybody starts taking their clothes off. You need to be married in that environment. Marriage was seen by a young man as a way of protecting one's chastity. Of being able to enjoy the fruits of sex and intimacy that God had provided, but through the institution of marriage. That was the only way that it was meant to happen. And so from that age... From the age of 16, 17, the seed was planted. To enjoy yourself, to satisfy yourself, you must marry. And it is close to godliness to be married. It is half of your religion, brother. That is what the Prophet, peace be upon him, said. That to marry is to complete half of your religion. So that was the objective. And I carried this all the way through college. I carried it all the way through university. I had absolutely no experience with the opposite sex. I had no dates. At university I stayed completely away from that world. I did not club, I did not pub, I did not associate, I did not talk, I stayed away from girls. So on that day in 2001 we left that end of terrace house in the downtrodden part of Manchester and made our way to Presswich where we had commandeered a friend's garden for the ceremony. We would be in the garden, the men folk and the women folk would be inside along with my wife to be. And thinking back it was all quite rushed and anticlimactic. The imam who was a friend of both mine and my my wife-to-be uh, spoke about what marriage is and why it was important. He then led me to the side entrance of the house whilst everybody looked on and the door was pushed ajar slightly and on the other side I was told was my 20 year old wife-to-be and he simply asked me whether or not I would like to marry her and I said yes and he did the same with her and she said yes and we had pre-agreed a contract with all kinds of interesting terms and conditions in including for example uh i will take her for walks in the park which is almost like a dog <laughs> but um yeah we had all kinds of interesting clauses in uh, incl actually another one was about uh, additional wives and the fact that i would have to ask her permission to take a to take a second wife um Regardless of the laws of bigamy in the UK um, So anyway we stood there And um, we agree on a, a dowry sum Which I think was quite small As I say I didn't have a lot of money And that was passed through And we were pronounced man and wife um, I was given congratulations by my friends who were there I think there were a total of 25 people on my side, and maybe the similar on hers. Um, and now it was time to eat, and so we did. And we had a laugh, uh, and then it was time for me to to meet my wife for the first for the first time without wearing a scarf to meet my wife as my wife. Um, and so I was told that she just needed to prepare, which was cool. I didn't know what that involved, but fine. And and then I was given the signal that you can go in. Uh, she's in the kitchen. So I opened the door. I walked in. There was no one to be seen. So I just walked along the corridor. And then I'd been in this house before, so I knew where the kitchen was. So I approached the door of the kitchen and then I opened it and there she was, there she was. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If this is your first time here and you're wondering what this is about The title of the podcast is Divorced Muslim Dad and I am the Divorced Muslim Dad in question I decided to start this podcast in order to share stories from my time As a married man of 10 years, as a father to two kids and who's somebody who divorced Now if you've just listened to that episode and you think this is your kind of thing Then great, you're in the right place and I would encourage you to subscribe. You can subscribe through Spotify, through Google Podcast Player, through iTunes, um, Stitcher, and wherever you get your, your podcasts. And if you are a regular listener, can I say regular listener if it's only been two episodes and a teaser? But if you are a regular listener, then I would really appreciate it if you could leave a review of this podcast um i understand that would just do something positive to the algorithm and maybe more people would would like to hear it see you next time assalamualaikum